All right, and welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here as always with Calvin. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, we have McKenna on as a guest again. What's up? And we have a new guest. We're very excited to uh, have Katya on the show today. Hello. And uh, go ahead and give us a little background. What is your What was your film journey like? Yeah, my film journey. So I grew up without a television, um, and I am almost the same age as you guys. So we just didn't have one. My parents sent us outside a lot. Anything we had was a recorded VHS of Wishbone from our grandma. Ooh. Oh my God, um, I love Wishbone. <laughs> That's yeah. a good one. We got to do a review for that. Oh my God. <laughs> That's we love the like Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. Wishbone Odyssey. Oh my God. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm so I'm so glad you brought that up. I haven't yeah. thought about Wishbone in forever. I know, so that's a, I have like tidbits. I have like tidbits of history and reverence and culture and culture. <laughs> well, they did. Luckily, they did show us interesting movies, um, like their anniversary movie, Doctor Zhivago, which is a lot of snow and Russians. Um, <laughs> that was good. Those are two important archetypes. Yeah, the <laughs> snow and the Russians. <laughs> the <snowy> Russians. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then we watched a lot of dancing movies. We were all sisters. We rent the same movies from the movie store over and over and over again. So that was really the extent of my movie experience. I kind of wrote it off until I got into college, and I'd be in a room and, and not really understand what people were talking about, not get the jokes. So I watched The Office, and then I watched Parks and Rec. I watched all the shows, and then... I really only started getting into movies recently when Calvin came along and right. <laughs> that meant hanging out with Calvin was watching movies. Um, <laughs> you like make a face like, oh no. <laughs> we do other things too, but. Uh, I definitely thought it was kind of like a, if you're going to be stuck with Calvin having to watch all these movies, might as well come on and talk about them too. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, I really like having you on. I think it'll be yeah. great at a new perspective because uh, it's mm-hmm. gotten really stale having Calvin around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's cool. It's always cool to think a little bit more because when you just see you're, you're watching just fun movies all the time and then even thinking about fun movies is, is cool. It's a cool thought exercise to do. It makes you really see that there's more value than you might expect. Right. So uh, we're going to be talking about Turning Red today. This is the new Disney Plus movie uh, uh, done by Pixar. It's directed by Domi Shi. It was also, uh, she wrote it along with Julia Cho. Uh, it had a budget of $175 million. It's made $4 million. That's all international box office because it was only put on streaming here in the States. So, Which is so strange. I was shocked when we had talked about doing this movie, I was like, oh yeah, I'll find the tickets. And Hannah told me, she's like, it's just on Disney Plus. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the only place you can see it. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I I wasn't I wasn't expecting a ton out of this. I think the previous two Pixar movies to come out on Disney Plus, I wasn't uh, I, I was not impressed by. Uh, that what was, was before Luca. Raya. Soul. Raya. You, uh, well, Raya also came out in theaters. That's also not Pixar. That's Disney. I mean, just specifically to the I studio. I thought it was straight to Disney. No, I mean, uh, but like Pixar, the studio. Sure. Didn't do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Raya or Raya. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't impressed with Soul. And really. Luca. No, Maybe we should do it. Soul then, because Soul is great. I don't want to talk about Soul either. I didn't like <laughs> you that don't movie. Need, you don't need to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'll just say that my expectations for this weren't weren't too high. Uh, I thought initially May is super annoying, and I was glad it toned down throughout the movie. It ended up having a real message that developed throughout the story, and I, I ended up appreciating this movie a lot more than I was expecting. Uh, so, McKinnon, what are your first impressions of Turning Red? Yeah, I went into this movie with a pretty low bar, I think, also. And I was surprised by how much I enjoyed this movie, I think. It, there were there were quite a few funny bits that I didn't expect to laugh as much as I did. So I, I appreciated agree. that. Um, but yeah, no, I went in with a low bar. So it was kind of difficult to uh, to have an accurate uh, opinion on it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so maybe I need to re- I need to rewatch this movie a couple times, but the first time around I was I was pleasantly surprised. I agree with you, Katia. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't know much about it going into it. I think I looked it up right before watching it, and then I watched it. <laughs> and I I liked the main character. I liked how kind of in your face she was at the beginning. Really? Okay. Yeah, I really enjoyed that part. As being the only one of us who was ever a teen girl, yeah. did this movie? Have, I mean, did it? I mean, did you identify with any part of it? I watched it with Hannah, and she told me she was like, "This takes me right mm-hmm. back to middle school." Yeah, for sure. I think it did in a lot of ways, just with her friend groups and you know what's important, and then trying to care about things that you either do care about or don't quite care about yet. But then all of a sudden, you know, she's like, "Oh, now I care about boys." Yeah. So that was interesting, and the the idea of like giving off this perception of yourself you're like this is who i am right now like you have to say this is who i am because you're not sure yet right so you have to tell people and express it so that's why i liked that part you were also telling us that you really uh you enjoyed the aspects about the movie with the boy bands and you you love the boy bands of like that era can you give us like your your favorite boy bands I probably listened to more Backstreet Boys than anyone in this room. I love Backstreet Boys growing up. Yeah, because I mean, I also, without a, growing up without a TV, I also didn't have internet. You also didn't we grow just, up with so a radio. I also, I know, I yeah. grew up in such a small town. We mm-hmm. had like NPR and like country. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was, that was it. We definitely listened to a lot of Radio Disney growing up. So I, I we uh, mm. I was aware of the boy bands for sure. <laughs> Aaron Carter and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Aaron Carter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> uh, Calvin, what do you think of Turning Red? Uh, so yeah, my my first impression coming into this was uh, I had heard really good things about it that it was one of the most um, inventive Pixar stories since um, Inside Out, and I was like, obviously, like straight away, I was like, well, I disagree with that. Um, yeah, because you're not a big Inside Out fan. Go, uh, Out go is... listen to our review of Inside Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've I've, I've I've heard from multiple people like I had a, I had a decent opinion of you before I listened <laughs> yeah. to that. And That's then, the one that my brother went off on in the comments saying, "Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, Calvin sounds so full of so like he's the only one that understands the movie." I thought you had great points. I I hope so. I haven't listened to it again, so I haven't done it. In, I haven't experienced it in third person. But yeah, I do. I don't think that Inside Out is very inventive. I think it it spends a lot of time on the wrong things. I think this is Inside Out. I think this um, was what Inside Out should be. It focused on the girl and um, and her emotions in a in a lot more relatable way so this is uh a much better version of inside out i i actually tend to agree with that it 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 feels like you could mash the two movies together Mm -hmm. and you could have you know part one is the emotions living in her head and then part two is the your external story with uh with may and so i I actually like that idea i think that that it makes sense i think you could you could see it as a, a telling the same story but from the two different perspectives so i like that i like that interpretation i think it's a good idea I also like this movie a lot for, I enjoy anything that removes really stupid stigmas. And this movie obviously deals with, you know, a, a girl's first period. And mm-hmm. that's that's just a, a topic that for some reason it always grosses out men. Like they don't want to go buy their girlfriend's tampons or something like that. Or you get a lot of images of like clueless dads who don't know what to do. And it feels like it's a trope in like sitcoms and stuff like this. Like just mm-hmm. the... The idea that it's not something that we can talk about and realize it's just a biological function and then handle it is really silly to me. And I think part of that comes from like my background in like healthcare and being in a healthcare major and stuff like that. So it's a topic that I'm aware of. And, it, and I just like the idea of breaking down silly stigmas. So I think this movie is really helpful for that. 
And it's also not the point. I've, I've heard it talked about as this is just a movie about about a period, and or, it's not. Or puberty. Right. I people keep saying, oh, it's such a great metaphor for puberty. It's, no, it's not a metaphor for puberty. It is so much more than that. So I, agree. I think you're, if you're looking at it like that, it's this. you're really limiting the scope of what the message is of this movie. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a shallow take to be like, that's all it is. It, the, the panda just represents the change this girl's going through. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's so much more than that. Yeah, and I love that she's like, no, mom, it's not that. I'm a panda. Yeah. Like, I'm actually a yeah. panda. Has the red peony bloomed? <laughs> yeah. That was so funny. That was a good line. So uh, the first question I want to ask is, uh, what do you guys think about the anime influence on the animation? I think it's a, of all the Pixar movies I've watched recently, it feels like the biggest departure from kind of the style that they usually go for. I thought it fit in pretty well, especially it, it ramps up a lot in the third act. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it fit in really well. Uh, what, what do you guys think of that influence? Yeah, I thought I felt like it was really obvious from someone who's watched a lot of anime before, just all of the uh, the facial expressions, especially like when she's makes that weird face where like she sticks out her her teeth and like um, the bottoms of her eyelids squint up right. when she's uh, drawing Devin underneath the bed. I was right. like, oh my god, that is like that that whole scene is amazing. That's one of my favorite scenes too. I thought it was it was really funny, and then it's also like a, you see this like progression in the character too. I thought it was really great. Yeah, and the director has talked multiple times about how, like, yeah, like, I just felt like, you know, we should include, like, a horny girl, like, in a kid's movie. It's like, that's <laughs> yeah. like, because everybody, yeah, there are horny girls. They do exist, and we do definitely draw boys like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the mom's reaction. She's like, what is this? Just a shock on her face. I thought it was, it, it really, it like, for a movie that has, like, these really fantastic elements, Parts of it felt really grounded in how, like, uh, the interactions between mother and daughter. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Yeah, but absolutely. Like, I cannot imagine my mom doing that. I would, <laughs> I don't, like. Going walk, through your notebook? No, taking it into the store and showing the boy that I had a crush on all of these pictures and then telling him that he, what, molested you or, like, stay away from my daughter he had no idea that she even existed yeah. and then talking to you about it like she did you a favor yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and Malin's just like oh my god no one was ever supposed to see those things yeah i don't know what to say yeah. her mother's like thank god i saved you like yeah. it's, it's it is mortifying but i think that's kind of that's part of the point of this movie is it's that uh the, the director had said she wanted to tell a story that showed the conflict that she had growing up with her own mother she felt like they were just arguing all the time and they weren't understanding each other and so I think having a scene like that where mm-hmm. it's it's clearly the, the mother's taking it in the completely wrong context and May is just mortified by what's going on in front of her. And I think that's spelled out uh, the story that the director wanted to have. Yeah. Right. For but sure. uh, and then like on the uh, the subject of the anime influences, like there are so many like little details of um, like they uh, anthropomorphize on oh, anthropomorphize isn't the right word, but like they have like sound effect, like little stars and blurbs. Right. Uh, which which are really, really strange to see in a Pixar movie mm-hmm. because obviously that's just, it was the, the limits of uh, uh, 3D am- animation for a long time prohibited that type of animation um, and that kind of style. Uh, Pixar had a very specific style. So seeing the, the traditional Pixar style blended with, I'd argue that the the second, uh, you know, the probably the biggest animation style out there right now in Japanese anime is re- it was a really cool blend. Like there's so much attention to detail here in um, uh, being true to both aesthetics. Right. Yeah. I think it's a cool blend, but I personally 
I get turned off when they do those like crazy eyes. Yeah. Like well, the sparky, the sparkly, sparkly eyes. Yeah, the like sparkly eyes. Oh, those are so like, cute though. I think they're disturbing. <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, yeah. I understand the aesthetic and that it's just kind of built into that mm-hmm. look. It, it always is uh, off-putting to me. Yeah. Do you find it disturbing in an anime also or just in this context? Well, I don't watch a lot of anime, okay. so yeah, I think well, that's I've just the next that part of her journey. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> journey. I've I've never really gotten into it, but I think it, I work with a lot of kids, and I think it's always interesting too just to watch them do the faces that they see in these shows. Like they'll do they'll watch Disney, and then they'll do the face. They'll pour glitter in their eyes and try to recreate. <laughs> it. No, they'll do the big like I'm gonna spread my eyes open and like stick my head out and like beg you. Like, <laughs> yeah. They do that, and they'll copy even the same thing with you know human actors mm-hmm. as well. They'll do these like little. Mm. no you didn't kind of thing uh-huh. like, that's everyone who's just listening right. to the podcast knows exactly what you just yeah, said exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly and they'll do it so yeah i thought the i thought the anime elements were incorporated well like i, I like the eyes thing i think that's a really cute thing in anime uh what i didn't like was some of the characters movements like uh one of uh maylin's friends the purple one her movements. <laughs> we don't even have names for her. I don't care about their names. Abby, they're, right? They're the, not important. Abby, the, yeah. Yeah, the Korean one. I don't think they're important. So yeah, I don't know their names. Um, but her movements reminded me of uh, the NPCs in the Fix-It Felix game in Wreck-It Ralph. Mm-hmm. Like they're very like that is robotic with her. I have, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm staring right at Calvin like he's going to know what I'm talking about. It's sort um, of like jittery movement. It's yeah. jittery. It's it's it's. Moving from pose to pose. Yeah. It almost feels like uh, like Family Guy influences on the way sure, that yeah. Pixar characters have started to move in like these really abrupt changes. They're yeah. not so smooth anymore. Which I like, agree. I think Mei Lin is a very smooth moving character, but th- that friend of hers in particular was mm-hmm. very jittery, which was weird to me. I thought she was hilarious, though, yeah, Abby. Like I think she was the most annoying character. Oh, yeah. in She's the my least movie. favorite character. I knew, I knew yeah. it was going to be a very, a very hard <laughs> split because she was over the top right and i just felt like it was it was a refreshing over the top though i don't right. think being over the top is enough she just <laughs> everything else about her was annoying i just loved how like the more excited she got the smaller her eyes got i thought yeah. that was that was funny yeah the other thing about the uh the way that the other thing i noticed about the characters were their mouths they didn't smile or frown as much as i would have thought they usually showed expression with their eyebrows and their mouths were just wide open so they were just all teeth that's what i saw that's an interesting point Yeah, there were a lot of teeth yeah like may lynn's character i don't i don't think that she smiles or frowns that much the characters just show a lot of emotion through their eyebrows that's that's why i picked up no that's a neat way to be expressive because i think you usually you're concentrated on like what is going on in their entire face but right. part of it is kind of held in suspense and then you have to rely on other cues to sure. figure out what's going on with the character. Which is probably a like a bit anime because characters in anime usually have like very wide mouths. Like yeah. they're all teeth usually. <laughs> when it seems like also it's the, the eyes are used a ton to yeah. tell the mood of a character in an anime. Mm-hmm. I also really liked, like I said, it, it ramps up kind of that anime feel in like that final battle and everything. Oh, I it's love so it. anime. Like all the mm-hmm. speed lines and everything like that. I thought it all, it, I thought it was all incorporated well. And and you had a build to it, so it felt it felt like it made sense when it was uh, ramped up at the end. So I, I like the aesthetic of this. It was interesting, and it was a departure from what I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's it's so nice that they focused on that. Like this isn't overly fantastical, like um, like Onward, where everything is magical and made up. Whereas here, this is just Toronto. 
Um, right. And instead, and I feel like that's easy. Like, okay, here's Toronto. Now let's focus on all of these really intricate details and build to something as an aesthetic choice rather than recreating like Coco is an entire world. Right. And you're not going to get, you can see some of the details, but you're not going to get caught up in the details the same way because it's a completely novel experience to see a floating uh, city uh, for the afterlife right. versus seeing just like, this is another city. It's Toronto specifically, but it's still a city. And most people have an awareness of what cities are going to look like. I actually like that it was in Toronto. We get some movies that are just set in, you know, middle of nowhere, America. Yeah, And so to see it, like, oh, this is a Toronto movie. I, I thought that was cool. Um, I want to move on to the fourth wall breaking that May does. It's really prevalent at the beginning and then at the end. And then it really falls off for the rest of the movie. My thought on that is if you're going to use breaking the fourth wall as a narrative tool, it needs to be continuous throughout the film. It needs to be an aspect of the character. It can't just be kind of an exposition dump or a way to explain the world you're in, explain the characters you're going to be interacting with. I think while I don't like really love Deadpool, him yeah. breaking the fourth wall is a is like an integral element of his character, mm-hmm. and so it can't start and then end and then pick up again. It has to be something that goes on throughout that movie. I think if you're going to use it as a narrative tool, it needs to function throughout. And if you're not doing that, then it's lazy writing. It's just a way to uh, have have a bit of exposition in a fun way. When it falls off, it's it feels like you couldn't come up with a clever enough way to just tell the story outright. So you needed to have fourth wall breaking uh, just for the sake of it i think what did you guys think of breaking the fourth wall at the beginning and end i think that it makes sense in deadpool because there's not much pacing going on in that movie but for this movie if there was fourth wall breaking it would halt the pace of it so i wish that there was just none in this movie i agree i think you i just think it needs to they need to not have it at all. You need, well, to, you need to write the beginning and the end in a better way then. Right. Well, I just mean, if, to your point, if they like sprinkled it in here and there to be more consistent, I feel like it would it would halt whatever momentum there was in a given scene. If they were like, that's me on my bed. I'm drawing boys in my diary. <laughs> yeah. Don't mind me or whatever. Like it would, I think it would kind of clash with what the, what any given scene is trying to do if they had like voice, not voice over because it's like it's Malin talking to you, but it's kind of a version of voiceover. Well, and my other issue is there is internal monologues that she has. So then just have the beginning be that and don't break the fourth wall at all. At least because sure. then you're staying consistent in the way you're telling your story. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of the fourth wall breaking? I didn't. When I watched it, I didn't notice it or have a problem with it. I actually don't remember what she did at the end. So I just <laughs> remember the beginning uh, intro. And like I said earlier, I liked it because it kind of it felt like that setup, like, this is who I am. This is how it works. And I liked that for her character specifically because, you know, it's going to change. Right. Like, it's going to get more detailed. I'm not knocking using yeah. that as a tool in your movie. I just, I would like it to stay consistent. I think yeah. people usually knock it as a tool because if your movie's any good, you'll get the point anyways. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think there's a way to keep it. And... um do it in a smart way because really what that that whole scene is an expression of her persona and i think in a, in a lot of ways it's supposed to be a fantastical idea uh, of who she is and not necessarily happening but the way that it's filmed rendered i don't know i this is not my <laughs> yeah. this is not my preferred medium or my uh medium of uh education um but the way it's represented is it, it seems like it's supposed to be real what i think would be really interesting and a better uh, thematic uh, through line would be to have all of those images and then like a snap or a, um, 
like a jolt and we realized that she's been writing in her comic book the whole time and drawing those things and so all of like her perception of herself in the world is really right here in these drawings and all of those are just representations of her persona within herself no i like that idea a lot because then it even makes the notebook more important later on where her mom finds it and like you know she's under the bed and it's it's like her own space to be herself so yeah, I actually like that idea a lot if, if you use that as a tool to spell out who the character is. Uh, yeah. that's, a, that's a great change that I, I agree with I would make. Yeah. Is there is there an anime that breaks the fourth wall? Like, is there another anime that could have been taken inspiration from for this movie? I can't uh, think of one. Gintama breaks the fourth wall a lot. Could it? I, I don't know what that anime is about. Could you have used um, techniques in that to incorporate into this? Or is it a different kind of fourth wall break for like humor? It's for humor specifically. Okay. Yeah, that that show honestly it's one of the funniest shows I've ever watched. Gintama, but yeah, it's it's uh, even like a lot of the show, a lot of the the references actually come through even like with the the cultural differences. It's yeah, hmm. it's more than just slapstick, which is a lot of uh, Japanese humor, slapstick in general. Like um, someone falling over and everyone makes a face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Gintama is a really smart comedy that also uses slapstick, and it's funny. Um, I, yeah, I don't really know if there's specifically something uh, anime that I've seen that would do that. That, but I feel like I would have the same issue, or like the, the a, a lot of anime is not really high-minded. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of the problem: is they're not doing no anime is really doing anything better than what Turning Red is. So interesting. Okay, were you guys not upset that in this whole movie there was not like a single bloody nose? Like in anime, uh, that's like such a common trope. I I really hate that because it's so much to do with fan service. Yeah, and like the objectification of women. Yeah, that was a big pro- pro- part of why. I just like I couldn't deal with anime anymore. I was like, I just felt like so gross about myself, and that like being the point of some shows. Like right. I kind of like so this plot of this show, but like every character is has like giant boobs tiny waist and like oh no i'm stuck and in a and in a sexual situation what am i gonna do male hero of no renown (laughs) (laughs) i do feel like uh, the influence that is in this movie is just right it's not too much i think you could you could dial it up more and like calvin said you could appeal to more of those kinds of fans yeah if there was a lot it's not yeah it would have been a mistake for sure i was just I was hoping the yeah, whole time. Like, exactly. Like, Give me a bloody nose, please. <laughs> right. And I think the the right amount of implication of blood is here in turning red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> so let's continue uh, a discussion we've had with other Pixar movies of them being folktales. Everyone who's listened to this podcast knows I bring up Carl Jung a lot, so we're about to hop on the the Jung train. Yay! (laughs) I was so excited when I was going through your notes and there was... There was talk of Carl Jung because I feel like I haven't gotten to press the button in a while, so I'm very excited. I uh, know, right? Yeah, we really ought to <laughs> upload some more sound bites <laughs> for the just so you can use the pad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Carl Jung, uh, renowned uh, Swiss psychoanalyst, contemporary of Freud, uh, he viewed stories as expressions of subconscious, um, including like especially folk tales, and so that's why I think this is a good way, like. Pixar movies being uh, folk tales is there. Um, you can think of all of the characters as being expressions of 
the main character's subconscious, and they all exist within within her mind in terms of the issues that she's going through. And I think um, here especially, like the red panda uh, is the shadow self. I mean, that's part of the subconscious that you literally hide away from everyone. Like she has this persona, which we talk about uh, at the beginning of the movie. I'm Mei Lin. I love math, and I don't give up about what anybody else thinks. Right. Uh, I'm sure, yeah, our streak of cursing in Pixar movies has not been great, so I'm going to break that. <laughs> Um, and then you have all of these things that she can't show her mother. And then all of a sudden they, they literally manifest as the red panda, her anger, her embarrassment, uh, her crush on, uh, Devin when she walks by and goes, awooga. Yeah. <laughs> I don't That one was a little over the top, but still funny. I liked it. I liked it for the reason that we usually see it from a male character gawking over a woman. So yeah. I, I, again, it's, it's nice to have a movie that it gets rid of some of these stigmas that like, Oh, women don't look at men that way. Like women don't have these kinds of feelings. Like they do like, yeah, like, women are attracted to people. It, it happens. And so I like the idea that, you know, she makes a face and is into him. And I, googling I, uh, him. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so exactly. So this, so that's what the, the, the panda is, is it's a representation of, uh, this part of herself that she can't, she can't share with other people. And that's why this is such a good movie is because if you really want to get past the, this idea of shame and guilt um, that so many people carry around, that's what we usually put into the shadow. The shadow is uh, things that um, we don't want people to know, the things we're most embarrassed about. But what Carl Jung talked about was this idea of psychic equilibrium and balancing all the parts of the subconscious into the true self. And that's what this movie does in such a great way is, you know, you acknowledge your shadow self and incorporate it in the right ways because she's a, she, is, she allows the shadow self to go crazy and it hurts people. That's why people are afraid of their shadows because it, it will isolate them and, and break off their relationships, just like how Ming hurt her mother when, um, you know, her mother didn't approve of her marriage to May's father. So incorporating that part into your persona and then balancing those is the best way to to reach individuation and that's why this is such a great story to put in into kids and to spell it out like there are parts of you that are messy and weird and you have to acknowledge them and incorporate them because putting them away locking them away in a pendant is it drives the barriers that exist between all of the other relationships and the characters. Yeah. Like Ming, uh, Ming and May have never talked about Ming's um, panda because like, oh no, that's sealed away. That's not something we talk about. Yeah. And that is part of the barrier between their relationship. No, I agree. And I think that after doing this podcast with you for a while, there are certainly concepts you bring up and it feels like the shadow self is one that I'm like, oh man, I feel like I don't get it. I've gotten a, a grasp on it a lot more. But I think that if you want to have a movie that really kind of spells it out, this is a great way to like educate yourself on like that that way of thinking and uh, interpreting what a shadow self is and how do you like you said how do you reach individuation? Mm-hmm. I think this is a if you're if you're like a starting film student, you don't understand you. This would be a great way to to get a grasp on it. I think. Yeah. Because I think Enemy might be the hardest example to start with. And that's what we talked about not too long ago. But that's one of my favorite representations of the shadow self in film. Also Black Swan, obviously. Mm -hmm. The Lighthouse. I mean, it's the the shadow self is is such a prevalent icon in in storytelling. Um, 
that we just don't realize. We don't we don't understand it's happening. Um, but it's the way we choose to represent these things in stories to understand what's going on within one person's mind in a really interesting and novel way. And this being in a kids movie is perfect. It's not puberty. It's not your period. It's this whole collection of things that you don't want people to know. Yeah. So one of the controversies I had come across researching this is that it's it's too specific for its audience for like for a general audience which i think is again really shallow i mean i like i said i was never a teenage girl but i certainly had moments in my life growing up where i felt uh, like enraged or out of control and i acted out and so this movie yeah it it certainly deals with that topic but it's not it's not specific like you said to like to a period and that's why i think it's a really it's a really shallow take on it and it makes me feel like you didn't really you don't really take the time to watch the movie. You just had an opinion already, and you were just itching to write your article, tearing it up. Mm-hmm. Can't the panda be a symbol of both the shadow self and a symbol for puberty? Yeah, it is. That's the okay. whole point. It sounded like you said it like flat out is not puberty, and it's actually deeper than that. It's the shadow self. That's what I got from what you said. Yeah, I'm sorry. If I misspoke then, I was just uh, more saying like it is not just that. Okay. And trying to be, yeah. But yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It incorporates so many things. Because I think for part of the movie, it, it, it is obviously like a symbol of puberty and how and how she like she like runs home from school after she turns into a panda and she's like crying and she's like in her room curled up in a ball and is like, oh my God, it's like, it's like when I had my first period or whatever, you know? Yeah. Not I that mean, I have, but. And it's also very, it's like you don't really get the space to say, oh, excuse me, I need to go call my mom because my vagina's bleeding. Sorry, I don't know if I should say <laughs> vagina. <laughs> That's anatomically correct. <laughs> We've said worse. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, and that part was so sad when she was like yeah. crying herself to sleep as the panda. Mm-hmm. And it was really cute. Which I thought they that. did a good job at because like Connor, I've never been a teenage girl before, but I imagine it's devastating in some ways when you're changing. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, in some ways it's also obviously the shadow self. But yeah, I, th- I think it's both. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the panda represents much more than puberty. It's more than just a panda. Yeah. In fact, we, I mean, really, it's beyond the shadow self. Really, we what we should have on this podcast is the panda archetype. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I agree. Okay. <laughs> there it is. It, that'll be what we use when we talk about characters who are girls going through changes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it could be anybody who, you know, is having problems with their parents. That's why I think. Right? Yeah. That's why I think this movie. It is not too. Um, specific for its audience because like like I still I still feel like I got something out of it I didn't go through those specific events but I definitely feel like growing up there's like all kinds of trouble and turmoil you go through so I, I think the take that this is too specific for a general audience is is a bad one I think it's definitely going to impact certain people more than it will others but I think that's true of any Pixar movie they all seem to hit a certain audience a lot heavier than it will other audiences. Like uh, Onward is one that I really connected with because I feel like it, it genuinely told like part of my story growing up where I was really close to my older brother and uh, I did. I looked to him as, as a father figure. Whereas for other people, there are definitely elements of that movie you can take from and, and enjoy and see yourself in, but that, that part of the movie might not impact them as much. And I think Turning Red is the same way. I, I still took portions of the movie and got something out of it even though that specific story has never happened to me. Yeah, and I think that's really the case with film in general. Why I love movies and film in, uh, specifically is because of the visual medium, but it's stories in general. How a work resonates with us depends on the context. It depends on whether we were in a good mood watching Requiem for a Dream, <laughs> whether we've had drugs before. Um, <laughs> 
whether we're on drugs when we watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. And um, but yeah, it's it's contextual to our um, periods of life. Like you saying, like you didn't like Requiem for a Dream when you first saw it, and then coming back and it's like, oh, this is different. When you when you see something in um, it's it's you know it's a mood of the day. It's a, the, this is the, the major events going on in my life right now. This is my world outlook. Those things all impact the way we absorb these stories. And so you're always going to, you know, everything's going to resonate with someone differently at a different time. And I think it is strange that people would call this limiting when we really think about a lot of the American classics, like take Sandlot. I mean, that's a movie that basically is just about a, 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 boy and his friends it's the same exact thing right but the th- that was never written as like oh this is too specific um yeah to- i'd love to see an article like if that came out now like it was contemporary like would it be would it be criticized the same way that turning red is i yeah. doubt it i would hope so though because it's the exact same thing right. like that if you think of a of, of a creator uh, a lot of times we just they just make movies from themselves uh from their experiences and all of their memories so if like this was a really big story to them then they would have made that story and what makes stories great is how the principles and the experiences are universal and that's again like what's happening with with Pixar movies is all of these experiences are universal and whether they're happening in you know a fish or um, an anthropomorphic toy or an anthropomorphic robot or an anthropomorphic car um, or just a human. The reason that these things are relatable is because what we're putting into them are human. So right. it doesn't matter who's actually going through the actions. Right. Uh, so I talked about how the criticisms were that this movie is too specific. I also found another one, which is totally in contrast to it, is that it, it generalizes the experience of a teenage girl. It, it, it is showing that every girl goes through the same thing at this stage in life. They're concerned with boys the same way. They deal with their emotions the same way. They have conflict with their mothers in the same way. So I, I'm just, I'm confused how you can take, you can have two opposing criticisms of this. Do and, people do people who review movies expect the movie maker to show every possible way you could interact yeah. with the situation? Yeah. <laughs> Especially because, uh, like I said before, the director said, like, this is a, a story this is her story. She just wanted to put it out in a more fantastic way. Like this was her experience growing up. Right. So of course it's, it's drawn from like her own experience. And if that's how she experienced it, then that's the story that's going to get put out. I just think it's really, again, I'm, I'm just going to keep saying this. It's a really shallow take. It, it makes me feel like you didn't really pay attention and you didn't really grab onto the message of this. It makes me feel like you had a criticism already built up and you were just waiting for your chance to, to lash out and explain why this movie's wrong. Mm-hmm. It also makes me think of like the Goosebumps Choose Your Own Adventure. Like you start the movie. Do you want to be a boy or a girl? Do you decide to get mad at your mom <laughs> that, yeah. or not get mad at your mom? <laughs> and like, be great. What do you do? Like a, a Bandersnatch version of this movie. Yeah. You make choices throughout. <laughs> mm-hmm. What an insane experiment that was. So keeping in line with some of the criticism and controversy surrounding this movie, which is so odd to me because it's just a lovely little story. I don't understand how it kind of blew up and uh, became so controversial. But one of the aspects of it is uh, apparently at Disney's behest, any kind of uh, gay interactions were removed from the film. And this is in the same time where Disney had donated money to like pro LGBTQ communities in Florida uh, that are dealing with that don't say gay bill right now. And so um, Pixar employees put out a letter saying they were concerned that uh, gay affection was removed from the movie uh, at, at the company's behest, even though they think that 
telling a story like this helps discourage or eliminate this like discriminatory legislation like this. And so the fact that they were donating money to these communities and, and groups that were against this, like, don't say gay bill, but then they weren't even allowed to create their own content that would help that out. I think that's a, that's like really interesting. It's kind of like saying one thing and doing another, or I, I suppose it's doing one thing and saying another, you know, donating this money, but then also not allowing your content to have anything that would support it. And so I think that's, I think that the employees of Pixar have a really good point. They should be concerned. Yeah. It's interesting that I, I feel like the best way of changing attitudes is through culture and like we've said before, Pixar is probably integral to child culture. So oh, absolutely. Why, yeah, you would be doing more to just include a few bits about like gay characters in their experience in a Pixar movie than the performative corporate act of donating to uh, a pro-LGBTQ um, group. Yeah, I, I think that it's uh, problematic to, on the outside, show that you want this change, and, and then internally you're not allowing that to happen. And because you're more worried about the dollar bills, although they just gave away dollar bills for, <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. It's very it's very strange how they're doing the math. Uh, but like I mentioned earlier, I I think any media that starts to remove like really silly sig- stigmas is, is valuable. And so if you can add more uh, LGBTQ representation and enfranchise more people, I think that's important. And so I... Yeah, I, I don't like the idea of uh, modifying your film in a way that uh, doesn't speak to the other actions that you've done. So I, I, I would like to see more stigma removed. This movie did a good job of that. I think it could have gone better. And the idea that the, the fact that it was Disney itself that like limited that, even though the producers and the studio and the artists behind the film were all for it, and the fact that it was removed, I think is a shame. So the next question I have for you guys is uh, the idea of this introduction of generational trauma. It's the idea that uh, something that's happened to uh, either your parents or grandparents, that trauma is then transferred to you. Like if you had a, a parent that was a, an alcoholic or abused drugs, you have a predisposition to that. You're, you're more at risk for that kind of behavior. And that's this generational trauma uh, passing down. I think that it's represented well in this too. It's this, it's this uh, what they describe it as an inconvenience, the, uh, the panda and their family. And I think that's a, that is a portrayal of this generational trauma. It's something that is passed down from generation to generation, and each person needs to figure out how to deal with it differently. So I like that being brought up. I don't think it's a, it's done in a, a clever, fun way. Yeah, and I think it's also universal. Again, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily just the immigrant experience. It's the same, the same idea of like this old. Um, old world idea of we, you know, we don't talk about real things. You know, you hold all of that in. And that causes so much, so many issues with, with generational relationships. But it did seem like this initially was a gift, and then they they turned it into this inconvenience right? Right. when they had to kind of change how they acted and in, and interacted with other people. All of a sudden, it's no longer something that they can show or use anymore. But it was really interesting that she could, Malin could use it. She figured right. out how to use it and but no one else was ready to, to change at right. the end. I do like the idea it's like traditions have to change over time because they just aren't applicable. They're not keeping up with the change in the world. Mm-hmm. So I, I do. I, I think it's cool how it's introduced as this was like a, it, it was like powerful for them to have it and it was useful. And now in the modern world, it just doesn't fit at all. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, yeah, May can, can end up utilizing it, I think is a, it's a good use. Uh, it's a good way to portray like her evolution as a character. Mm-hmm. So there's also a, a really extreme exorcism scene i think i was not expecting it it was 
I mean, I mean, not graphic or anything or gratuitous, but I was I was not expecting it to be such a spectacle. Uh, and I think it it ends up leading to May discovering who she is and how she's going to operate moving forward. This discovery of herself when she chooses to keep the panda, and it made me think a lot about uh, second generation immigrants, where you need to kind of hold true to some of the traditions of your family and the traditions that they hold close, but then you also need to assimilate into a new culture. In this case, you know, she's a, a Chinese second-generation immigrant who needs to also operate in Toronto. And so I like the idea of the panda being this representation of her way of moving forward. Like, she's she's going to keep some of the tradition, but then she's also going to go and see Fortown with her friends. Mm-hmm. The panda represents so much more than, you know, a puberty. It, it, it is really like a, a sense of finding herself as well. So mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of kind of playing around with the how do people who are second generation immigrants how do they move forward in the new society they're in how do they assimilate while also holding true to like old ties yeah because a lot of it too is about not having your parents control you not having all of those things be the only narrative but also still honoring them it's like learning how to honor your parents and yourself at the same time right so that's a cool thing mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting how they incorporate the idea of the of the shadow into the same thing that it's not just within a single person's mind, but it's the ties that we have to other people as well. And that's kind of the idea of the subconscious too, is that it's, it's universal and we all kind of pull from it. It's a, it's, uh, it's a universal experience of the same phenomena. So let's get into some of our, our favorite parts of the movie. I feel like we've like really analyzed this probably deeper than most people will. Uh, so just what was fun to you guys, I liked a lot of the lines. Uh, I love when May's mom is, she's like, look at those, you like looking at those glittering teens in there, gyrations. <laughs> it's yeah, like, that was so funny. <laughs> it's great. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite lines is when uh, when the friends came into Maylin's room as she was a panda and they were like in shock that she was a panda. They were trying to convince her to go to the concert and Maylin was... Uh, she said, no, go become women without me. <laughs> I was like, that's a, that's a really out of place line for a Pixar movie, I think. But I thought that was really funny. Right. Yeah, was, but I think within like the, the context of what a, uh, of a child thinks, like I'm going to my first adult concert. Yeah. Like it is a rite of passage to them that's a little less sexual than the way we would normally take that line. Right. One of the yeah. other lines in the same scene is, this isn't just a concert. It's our first step to womenhood. Yeah. <laughs> I just, that's hilarious to me it's very funny because that that is everything right, right? yeah i guess yeah. Yeah, seeing aaron carter live <laughs> well like like they said they they get these fantasies like i remember those things if only i'm close enough or in the same room as this person they will obviously fall in love with me like why not i'm not, I'm not gonna say anything or look at them or talk to them and i'm probably gonna leave immediately but they're gonna fall in love with me right like in real life you're not gonna do anything yeah I, I love the part with Priya says she won't go to the concert. That way they have the money for the for the tickets. And they're like, no, so-and-so's your soulmate. You have to oh, go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, There's no way. Like they believe that themselves. And that was, I, that was so funny. And then uh, what Abby's talking about going to the concert. And she's like, my mom says it's stripper music. <laughs> I was not expecting to hear a joke like that. In the, yeah. It seemed uh. a little, uh, I mean, it's funny for like adults who watch it, but I, I, I think it probably flew over the heads of most kids, but I wasn't expecting to hear a line like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't I don't know if any part was really as funny to me as uh, when she was rolling under the bed drawing. Yeah, yeah. I think that was, the, that was great. And then when uh, her mom finds it and just making all the faces like, what are you doing to that? <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite actual scene of the movie was when she's running on the rooftops, turning yeah. into a panda over and over. 
because that was so anime the way that they did the uh the animation and the effects mm. i oh, liked yeah. that a yeah. lot and it made her become like you're like oh you can you can do this yeah like you you have control over like it. oh you're a superhero now yeah, yeah. now you like can get really cool yeah <laughs> or like like accepting the two parts of herself like she can be the panda and like Harmony. her as a person yeah and they can combine to do something great yeah. while i was watching it all i could think of is like this would make a sick platforming game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like the double jumps and the poops and everything i was like oh this yeah. would be a great side scroller or something like that i also love the hustle they're just like yeah let's make money off of this. yeah it's great <laughs> which is what kids would think my wife know? while we were watching that my wife was like wouldn't the kids talk about it to their parents and wouldn't like wouldn't may lynn's parents find out about this and i was like yeah absolutely this this would never work mm-hmm. yeah did you guys think it was odd that after the party when May freaks out on Tyler, all of a sudden her his parents are there and they're he's, you know, lambasting May's mom, being like, you know, how could you do this? Like yeah. just killed my son. Apparently the parents were there the whole time. Yeah, I was so confused yeah. by that. I was like, wouldn't they have noticed the panda the whole time? So I I'm not sure how the continuity of that scene worked. It was so odd to me that the parents were there. I think the parents were there the whole time. Otherwise, it would have shown a scene of the parents driving up in their car, which they didn't. So They probably weren't paying attention. I always think of it like, oh, it's the first teen party. Like, we're here, but we're not going to. We'll stay upstairs. And, and it's the, it seemed like he was a wealthy family. Like, he was just like, mom, dad, this is what I yeah. want. It also seemed like no one had any sort of issue with her turning. They weren't. There was no shock factor like, oh, you're a panda. They were just like, oh, that's cool. Well, these kids are so, from the school and they've seen yeah, her do it a hundred times. Yeah. yeah. Although I think it is interesting that the first time any of them saw them, they were like, oh my God, that's the cutest thing I've ever right. seen. Yeah. Not terrifying in the like, slightest. How did you turn into a panda? What if she wasn't a giant panda and she was like the same size as Maylin, like a like a teenage girl, not like an eight foot panda? Because mm. that would be, I mean, an eight foot panda is still really cute, but like a smaller panda would be just as cute. Yeah. I think regular sized red pandas are very cute. For sure, but those would be like a lot smaller than Maylin. So what if it was just Maylin sized? I feel like then it's not as it's not as inconvenient, right? Mm-hmm. I think that I think the incon the size is she part of the inconvenience. Yeah. Okay, so that's like some people, some women have like stronger periods. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah. Ming had a very strong exactly. heavy yeah. flow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did uh, Katya, did you find that like offensive at all? Like the idea of, I, I think it. It, it's not as prevalent now, but I know there's plenty of people like, oh, you're just PMSing, like you're just mad. And yeah. I I hate that. And I think that the, the movie was trying to kind of make that point that, you know, some people are more angry at that time than others. Yeah. It, I don't I don't hate it. I think when people just use that as, oh, she's PMSing and it's like a write off. Right. That's a problem. But I've definitely noticed like the more I've paid attention, the more I do have moments like a really sad day or a day that I get really irritated. And so, like, those things can be super inconvenient when you're like, okay, I'm reacting to this situation in a way I normally would not react, but it means so much to me right now. So I think it's really cool because when you start to pay attention to it, it tells you a lot about other things that are going on that, like, yeah, they just bubble up. They're bubbling up more than usual. Right. So you can actually figure out, like, a lot of true things during that time if you're paying attention and not really just being mad at everybody. But some people are just in pain and angry right so i think it's very it, it happens it's a fact but hmm. how you decide to other people telling you like that's what's happening that's why they're not going to listen to you that's a problem but also other people saying oh i'm aware this is happening to you right now i'm going to treat you appropriately yeah i think there's like, an empathetic way to yeah. react and not just like like you said write it off be like oh she's just mad yeah. because because of this so. But it, and it's hard too as to hear that too to say like for someone to say are you PMSing like 
do I need to maybe talk to you differently? Right. And then you might be like, oh, yeah, you do. Or like, no, of course not. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, and then I think the other idea, too, that is like offensive to me is when someone is not on their period and they get angry and the mm-hmm. the explanation is like, oh, you must just be PMSing. Yeah, I think and that I think bothers me yeah, way more. I think that is uh, really rude. Yeah. It's like, really dismissive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's almost to s- suggest that uh, your reaction is not valid. It's... Um, it's it's made like worse because yeah it's it's hormonal and it's womanhood right and mm-hmm. not because that what I have done it's not that I have transgressed this badly it's that your reaction is so out of uh, out of proportion to what I've done that it's your fault. No, I think I, I was really excited that you were going to be on. It's mm. the first time we've had a woman's perspective oh. on, and I think it's a great movie to to, to have you on for. I, I think we can all try to be as empathetic as possible. But then the other day, it's it's usually just me and Calvin. 30-year-old yeah. <laughs> dudes trying to interpret, you know, a movie that, that deals with an issue that a woman goes through. Yeah, so. menstruation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It happens. Yeah. I was, I, I asked Lenina while we were watching this, I was like, what if this was a movie about uh, like a boy going through puberty instead of a woman? Mm-hmm. Would that be watchable? Would, would that be? Isn't that just Big Mouth? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, gosh. That movie sucks. I can't stand that show. Yeah. But the, this, a movie like that would probably be fine, right? I mean, don't we have coming of age stories of young boys already? I mean, Where like the the boy gets excited and he turns into a, a giant bear instead of a maybe not fluffy and, red panda. Yeah, isn't that brother bear? No, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question though, because it seems like it could be. I don't know. It's just so much more unexpected, or you know, for a woman to be like like Ming to get so big and mean. Sure. And then to watch a boy do that, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, boys are crazy. Yeah, so, that's like, just boys. I, I, yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it would feel different to have them turn into an animal like this. It'd be yeah. more interesting to have them like turn into like a lizard or a fish or something like yeah. really when, powerless. Sure. Whenever I watch movies like this, I try to think like, what if it was a gender mm-hmm. swap or something? Like, would it yeah. still be just as good or would it be worse or mm-hmm. what would need to change for it to work? Stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. no, and you said it kind of nonchalant. You're like, oh, that's just boys. But that's a phrase like, oh, boys will be boys. Exactly. And it, yeah. and it just dismisses any consequence that uh, that a, a young man has for their actions. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I kind of would like a version of this maybe where or a different story where maybe it does follow a boy and they maybe need to take responsibility for acting for acting out because I feel like again that's a it's a common thing in society just be like well that's just how boys are they yeah. just they just objectify and that's it yeah and there's no consequence or uh, they're not rebuked for it so I I think a version of this story in that way but I think that it's more important to tell a story from a thirteen year old thirteen year old girl's point of view because those stories are underrepresented mm-hmm. i think i asked the same question when we talked about inside out like what if riley was a boy instead and how would the emotions in her head be different if it was a boy character instead just an interesting thought to have no i i appreciate the question yeah because i think we talked about that i think it would be i don't think that joy would be the driving factor or the driving emotion it would because- be discussed yeah yeah, yeah, it'd be, yeah, I mean, it'd be one of the <laughs> other ones because, yeah, boys are not supposed to show joy or happiness because that's the most vulnerable emotion. That's not the first thought you think attributed to a boy, yeah. Right, and so I feel like that would be a really interesting story to tell. But, yeah, I, I don't, I think that, I, I don't mind the fact that a lot of uh, Pixar's movies are focused on women because they're already just underrepresented. So who cares if this little cut of movie history is disproportionate, you know, because if this, I think this is the second uh, woman with red hair that they've had in a Pixar movie because of Brave. Brave, right? yeah. So, 
yeah, I, I, I just feel like that the, these things are necessary and whether or not your whole catalog um, needs to be balanced. I think that's that's missing the whole history of movies and stories in the first place. Oh, yeah. Or the idea that you just need to keep making the same movie over and over again, mm-hmm. like staying in that status quo, I think yeah. is boring. And I think it's not a good use of the medium. So telling new stories and doing different things is much more important to me, mm-hmm. whether they're received well or or for whatever reason are as criticized as Turning Red was for, again, what I thought was just a lovely little movie. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to how this film closes out. Uh, we've we've gotten the battle, you know, between mother and daughter, and they end up in this spirit realm. And McKenna, I know you have opinions on this. I do, yeah. Why, this didn't seem to, uh, you don't think it earned the emotion that was built into the scene? Nope, I don't I don't think it landed very well. So the the problem I had with this movie is it, it tried to draw parallels to Maylin's mom's relationship with her grandma with the relationship that Maylin has with her mom, which I believe are different relationships. So when they get to the spirit realm, and Malin sees her mother at like a young age and she's like sobbing because she's trying to please her mother. And it's like really difficult for the mom to do. So she's sobbing about it and Malin's there to comfort her. What I think that they're trying to do with this movie is draw the relationship between Malin's relationship with her mom and the mom's relationship with the grandma. And Malin's there to comfort her because Malin has learned throughout the movie that it's okay to not please everyone all the time, which I think fails. Because from the beginning of the movie, when there's a fourth wall break and Malin's got her little montage about how she's she don't take no nonsense from no one and she tries to like get straight A's and be the perfect daughter, the mom and the dad, I think, think that she is the perfect daughter. They're pleased with her. She doesn't have a struggle or a difficulty trying to be the perfect daughter because she wants to be the perfect daughter. And as far as everyone's concerned, she is the perfect daughter. Mm. Whereas the mom wanted to be the perfect daughter for the grandma, but she struggles to do it because the grandma doesn't think that she's good enough. And that's why I don't think the relationship is a good comparison to each other. So that finale with Malin trying to comfort Malin's mom didn't land for me. Does the grandmother think that her daughter isn't living up to expectations? Or is it just, I thought it was just the mother felt like she wasn't living up to expectations. I didn't think that she was being talked down to or being treated as she wasn't good enough well Maylin's mom doesn't think that she's good enough yeah yeah, because she's like no yeah you can't do the ritual by yourself we'll be there Mm -hmm. she has no faith in her whatsoever and Ming's reaction to her grandmother calling you know she's like how dare she treat uh, her mother this way talking about May and then uh, he answers the phone it's like oh it's your mother I'm not here and it's just like a completely like you it's it in one breath uh, how she's so hypocritical about that relationship I I I think I, I understand what you're saying is Maylin does want to be good um, and doesn't really struggle with it until she gets the panda. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, it, it did con- kind of come out of nowhere. It was kind of strange, especially to see her as a young girl. But I think it's a I think it's just a universal thing. Like, I'm not going to be the one. The, the the expectation my parents have of me is not who I am. Mm-hmm. I think if you boil it down to that, then they are the same. Um, but there are a little there are nuances between Maylin and Ming and Ming and her mom. I, I think if they wanted to make the correlation between the two characters by the end of the movie, they should have hammed it up more about how Maylin is struggling to meet her mom's approval, which didn't really come across to me. 
in the movie. Mm. Yeah, I think the only place, you know, she had got like a B or something. Oh, there's C's down there. She oh, got C's. Yeah. She oh, yeah. doing more poorly. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, there was like a, a, a heroin needle under the bed. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. It's not Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. But, <laughs> Requiem for a Ming. Yeah. But like there, there wasn't much. Like when, when Mei Lin was struggling, it was because of the panda. It wasn't because mm-hmm. like... Yeah. I think it's... Maybe it's implied like, what will my mom think about this? But it... Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was, uh, it wasn't told to me, so I didn't believe it. Yeah. But maybe that's a fault on my own. No, I can see where you're coming from. I wasn't expecting you to sway me. Uh, I thought that (laughs) you were just going to be outright wrong, but I think you're kind of right. The the movie kind of plays it up as more of a one-to-one comparison at the end, even though May and uh, her mother went through different paths growing up and they were treated differently by their parents. I think the expectation of like excellence is still there, just the way they deal with it and the way they go through it personally may's mother seems to be really stressed and it's 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 affecting her you know physically and mentally whereas may like you said seems to enjoy and take pride in like honoring her parents in that way and being that kind of person mm-hmm. so I, I can i can agree with that that if you're going to have that emotional uh moment at the end it needs to be more of a one-on-one comparison but then i also kind of agree with calvin that we don't all need to go through the exact same moment to need the same kind of emotional support sure so I think that the idea that it is universal still works for me. Mm-hmm. So the scene itself is not, uh, I don't have a problem with, and I don't think it's built in the in, a, in the wrong way. I just think that, to your point, it, it, it might impact better if it's one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they could easily make it impact more if they had one less scene of Malin interacting with the panda and how it affects her, and instead had, how does this panda affect the relationship with my mom? Right. Yeah. If they I just think, had one of those, I think it would have gone a long way. Yeah, because I think they're counting on the idea that everyone has this panda. That is the re- universal baggage between these intergenerational relationships. Because right. if the panda is the shadow self and the shadow self affects all these relationships in our lives, there really should be a scene about all these emotions I have within me, all these feelings I have, all these thoughts that I have they impact every relationship that I have. Yeah, good and bad. Right. Yeah. But they really only focus on how the, the shadow self impacts Maylin herself. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. Was the mom, so were those her aunts? The, yeah. All the other people? Yeah. So yes. the mom grew up with sisters. Yes. Or, yeah, yeah. Or something, yeah. They don't actually say it, which is frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's like the aunties. I don't yeah. know if they were like really aunties or just all the relatives. Yeah. So probably the most important question, and I have this for Calvin, what did you think of the food in this? Your big mm-hmm. food guy. I thought it looked great. Oh, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> I love how they included bao buns yeah. in like the beginning. Like that was great. Yeah, because she directed that short as well. Right, right. Yeah, and they invited the friends at the end. Which yeah. I really like. They're like, "Will you come for dinner?" And like that seemed to be the first time they were right. invited to dinner. There was like it was just the one single like food montage with the father. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That was so strange to me. The father, I think, has like two lines in this whole movie. He has that emotional speech with Malin. Right. That's it. That's yeah. like the only. And then he just drives around the chalk cart. Yeah, which, which is so strange yeah. because that's like one of the most important scenes in the movie. But, but like that's his yeah. only contribution. But the story was really supposed to be, it's supposed to be about the interaction between a daughter and their mother. It's like about yeah. other stuff, but the fact that they gave like one of the most important moments in the whole movie to the character with basically one line yeah. is funny to me. I, I like that. Yeah. But the food also looked very pretty. Yeah. yeah. I just liked how it represented how important food is to the culture. And I know it's Chinese, but I, I had a Korean girlfriend for a while and Whenever I visit her family, it was the same thing. I mean, they just threw food on my plate, like nonstop. I ate so much good Korean food. And, I, and I'm not trying to say that it, there's a exact comparison. I know like each kind of Asian culture 
is different in their own way. I don't want to generalize it like that. But I, I did like that representation of it because that's, that's how it felt when I interacted with that kind of culture. I was like, oh my God, food is such a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think we're getting ready to wrap this one up. There are five members of Four Town. So on a scale of one to five, how do you rank Turning Red? Uh, I think I would, out of five, I would give it a, a 3.8, I guess. Oh, wow, well, okay. It was okay. I, I guess I'm excited to watch it again. It probably won't be for a while. But like I said, there were there were some jokes that got me pretty good, so I'm excited to wait long enough to forget the jokes and then watch it again. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll finally have my first period by the time I watch this movie. <laughs> oh my <again>. god. <laughs> Katya, what'd you think of this one? Um, yeah, I liked it too. I thought it was funny, funny at times, and it had and it was a little touching at times too. So, um, yeah, like three point five boys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that. Uh, I mean, I just love, you know, my Jung psychology yeah. and stuff. Um, but I think most folk tales have that. I don't think this is particularly groundbreaking. I don't know if this is the best Pixar movie out there or anything like that, but it's certainly enjoyable and it's fun seeing where all of the animation style is going, especially in terms of uh, um, just the ability to, to render light and detail right. the way we can. Um so I'd give it a 3.9 Okay. out of 5. Uh, like I said, I was pleasantly surprised by this. I wasn't expecting a ton going into it. But uh, like I said, I thought it had a real message. And, and I was surprised how deep I wanted to dive into. Uh, like I you know, I brought up like my, my thoughts on it pertaining to second-generation immigrants and uh, intergenerational trauma, which I think is kind of a deep dive for you know a movie that's target audience is, is a 13-year-old. Uh, but I thought that this movie kind of deserved that. I thought it brought up a lot of uh, things that aren't talked about as much or aren't thought about as much and it removed some stigma for me so i i, I enjoyed this a lot more than i expected to i'd put it at like 3.5 i had a question would you guys like to see more movies like this in the future like this animated anime style of movie or just something that we get maybe once every couple of years no i'd like to see more okay you like the style i say once in a while okay i'm all for anything that kind of like pushes animation or the way you tell a story in a different way yeah so it's uh, so unique like uh like into the spider-verse was it seemed like a really cool unique way to tell that story yeah in its style so i'm I'm all for any kind of medium adapting and changing and you know it's not all going to be good but then you're going to find gems every once in a while yeah so i kind of like i I like the blending of the two styles okay uh i don't know that i i certainly don't want to see every movie take on that but i i think it can be cool to to, to change things up more often. Okay. Yeah, I would like to see more movies like this. It was a neat combination of two different animation styles. Right. So. All right, yeah. With that, we're wrapping this one up. Thanks again for being on, McKinnon. Mm-hmm. And Katya, great to have you as a guest. Mm, thank you. And as always, thanks for being on, Calvin. And uh, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, you can find our podcast on any platform like Spotify or Apple Music. We also upload all these to YouTube. So go ahead, leave a comment. Tell us what we're doing well. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And if you have any suggestions for movies we should do in the future, uh, go ahead and leave a comment. And with that, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.